everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to RX Rounds. This is the very first episode for our COVID-19 series. And with me today is a very special guest, Dr. James Hospitalis. He is the former executive director of CAFA. Um, He was also the senior advisor and coordinator for prevention and control of chronic diseases at the Pan American Health Association, health organization, PAHO, and the former director of the Caribbean Epidemiology Center. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Hespedalis. Thank you, Alandra. Good morning to to all. Yeah, so this coronavirus is a big deal, but I really want our listeners to know who you are and your credibility in talking about this virus. (laughs) Well, it's new to all of us, so we're still learning. Um, But sure, I'm I'm happy to say uh, I'm a public health doctor for with many years of experience in the Caribbean, uh, in the US and in UK. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago originally. Um, uh, I worked at CAREC, the Caribbean Epidemiology Center, which some may know for many years, uh, and uh, also PAHO WHO, Pan American Health, World Health, uh, with whom I've had a long uh, 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 career. Um, In terms of the these kinds of public health emergencies. Uh, as an epidemiologist at CAREC and at CARFA, uh, and then being in charge of CARFA, uh, I was at many times involved in emergencies of different kinds. So I served on the uh, Pan American Health uh, Disaster Response Team. We, we used to jokingly call it the DIRT Team, Disaster <laughs> Response. Uh, I was mobilized about eight times, mostly after hurricanes, uh, which increases the vulnerability um, to all sorts of public health problems, uh, floods, uh, volcanic eruption. Uh, those were some of the highlights and epidemics. Um, <clears throat> uh, the the I, I was involved in investigating many epidemics in the uh, hotel and tourism industry um, in the United States, investigating outbreaks of unusual rare respiratory uh, problems, pneumonia from fungus uh, in the factory and uh, a legionnaire's disease in a prison. Uh, so I've been a disease detective for part of my <laughs> life. Um, and then more at the policy level with the chikungunya and Ebola uh, threat in the, in the region, the Zika epidemic, uh, preparing uh, plans and policies for the consideration of the heads of government conference of CARICOM. Um, in the hotel and tourism industry, investigating uh, 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 Bringing, preventing lots of epidemics, mostly foodborne, but sometimes uh, waterborne, sometimes airborne, such as legionnaires. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> I've had a lot of experience, in short, in public health emergencies, whether they be of infectious disease origin or um, uh, uh, natural disasters, uh, sometimes even man-made disasters uh, uh, are part of what I've been involved in. It sounds like you're the perfect person for us to have this discussion with today. But tell us, have you ever seen anything like COVID-19 before? Ha! 
Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give an answer that may sound flippant, but we we have all seen something like the coronavirus because for the most part, it's a mild illness or even asymptomatic. So it's like a mild flu or a mild cold. Um, and therein lies a, a challenge. Uh, therein lies good news also, because most people, especially young people who get this, seem to have no problems at all or indeed are asymptomatic. Uh, so that's good. And the challenge then is is trying to prevent its spread of something like this, which does have uh, a bad effect, especially on people who are very old or who have a pre-existing health problem, such as diabetes or, or heart disease or cancer. Uh, so, um, have I ever seen anything like this? My answer is that we've all seen something like this. Respiratory viruses come through the human populations from time to time, uh, and that has always been uh, an accompaniment of, of human civilization. Uh, the flu viruses are what we all know the best, but coronaviruses, adenoviruses, and rhinoviruses, they all cause cold and flu. Uh, anybody who has young children in a family, a, a, a at play school or, or um, kindergarten or primary school will will usually experience several colds, sometimes flu coming home uh, per year, associated with the travel and tourism industry and people traveling back home for the winter. Uh, in, in the Caribbean, I mean, uh, you, you tend to see a surge in respiratory uh, diseases uh, over the winter period as it comes from the northern wintry, wintry climes down, down to us in the tropics with, with, with tourism. So we've actually seen, and, and, and that's, that's part of the challenge, to find, therefore, um, the contacts of, of potential, ca of confirmed cases and others who have such a relatively mild disease, which, as I said, we've, we've all actually seen it before, in a way. What we've not seen so much is this, uh, which SARS did some of, is the severe acute respiratory, the pneumonia, and the respiratory distress, and the need for uh, intensive care. And uh, that's what the, the government here has been trying to avoid, a major upswing, uh, which would swamp the facilities. Yeah, so you talked a little bit about it being a respiratory virus. And for us, it's like, you know, who are not in healthcare and don't really understand what that means. Tell us exactly how it spread. Right. Um, well, it spread as uh, most respiratory viruses that cause the cold and, and flu uh, through droplets. Um, when you cough or you sneeze, uh, those who are close to you, um, if, if they inhale it, uh, they can also uh, catch it. Uh, and by close, I mean probably up to about six feet. Uh, but certainly, um, uh, if, you have, if you're very close to someone and you cough or you sneeze, there's a good chance you, you'll pass it on to them unless you are wearing a mask yourself or have isolated yourself because you're not you're coughing or sneezing. Um, uh, so it's spread uh, through droplets, and it's also spread, and this is perhaps this is sort of obvious if it's spread through droplets, I'll catch it that way. What is not so obvious is it's spread through, uh, through touch. Mm -hmm. So most people touch their faces, um, touch their noses, especially if they've got a bit of a cold, and then it's on their hands. That is, the virus is on their hands and in the secretions, and it lasts there for several hours, and there's a lot of new research going on on how long it really survives, but definitely that's... And then you shake somebody's hand or you touch them uh, and you um, pass it, pass it, and they in turn then touch their face, touch their hand, and it spreads like that on doorknobs, on surfaces where somebody uh, who has been ill 
um, or not even ill, asymptomatic, but shedding the virus. Right. Um, uh, uh, has has left it in some secretion. So mostly, how is it spread? Through droplets, when you sneeze or cough uh, close to someone else. And obviously, if you do that in a closed space with lots of people close to you, and that's where you get this super spreader, or you've shaken the hands of dozens and dozens of people while you're rubbing your nose every few minutes, mm-hmm. uh, you can have a super spreading effect uh, because you, you would have passed on the virus to dozens and dozens of people. Right. So that being said, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the risk factors associated with more severe cases, because we already mentioned that um, very healthy individuals are not going to be as affected as those who are most vulnerable, as the WHO uses the woes words, and those who are elderly. So what are some of the severe cases and the risk factors for those severe cases? Uh, thanks. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, severe illness, uh, 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 that is to say with pneumonia requiring hospitalization and uh, people who have died from this, uh, strongly associated with uh, extreme old age, uh, particularly say over 75 or 80, uh, and um, uh, uh, chronic health conditions, particularly diabetes, hypertension and heart disease that's, that's not under control, and uh, people who are in cancer therapy, uh, have cancer or are in cancer therapy. Um, and the challenge is that we have such a large percentage of our population today who are uh, uh, have diabetes, who are living with hypertension and heart disease, or who may have had cancer. And so they are very vulnerable to this new virus uh, with a much higher rate of severe disease and uh, sometimes death. Um, uh, so we can't do anything about 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 age and in fact that many people are living to such ripe old ages is a reflection of the success of previous public health uh, efforts and public efforts to improve um, uh, healthy societies and healthy populations. Um, So those at risk, uh, precisely people with diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, cancer, and they need to take extra precaution. Uh, So in a way, the way our these preventable NCDs, as we call them in other discussions, Mm-hmm. Uh, have, have, have a, the populations rather softened up for the COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic. Were it not for, if we did not have so much diabetes and heart disease uh, rife in the population, the impact of this virus would be even even less, much less, um, apart from uh, very old people in particular. Now, throughout the throughout history, whenever Respiratory epidemics have occurred, uh, particularly the flu. Uh, the very elderly uh, do tend to be the mo- most susceptible, coming down with pneumonia, um, uh, and, uh, uh, as, 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 as those waves pass through. Um, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 as a pandemic. Um, so in public health words, what exactly does that mean? Uh, well, an epidemic means a clear increase uh, in you know numbers of cases of of a disease uh, in a particular place and time uh, way above what you'd expect. Uh, so a pandemic is when you have epidemic disease of you know new kind in most countries of the world with with transmission occurring in in the community, and that's the situation we've now arrived at with with COVID nineteen. Um, about eight. Eight months ago, sorry, eight eight weeks ago, about eight weeks ago, I was on the phone with colleagues uh, who were trapped in the embassy compound in Beijing, 
as the lockdown, we would say, not, um, as the COVID-19 uh, epidemic unfolded there, and thinking of the numbers of people in China and the numbers who come in and out every year, uh, 1.4 billion residents and 140 million in and out, yeah. uh, and hearing that it was spreading quite readily in, in China with a lot of asymptomatic cases for every severe case, I thought uh, to myself just quickly, this is going to spread around the world right? Be because it has the right conditions. Um, it's not as lethal as SARS, uh, uh, but it's more lethal than influenza, the regular yeah. influenza. There have been waves of influenza in previous um, generations or decades where we've had severe disease. Uh, and it's got a lot of asymptomatic cases. Now, once you've got asymptomatic cases, uh, uh, people transmitting before they even become sick, right. it's really difficult, as you can appreciate, to, um, to put, a, put a lid on it once you start to have transmission. And that's, I guess, the world is, is pretty much past that point. Transmission is going on now in many, many countries. Uh, and to go back to how you started this program, uh, were it not for our awareness of this from a scientific point of view, people would notice and say, oh, we have we have some new virus going through. Everybody's getting this cold. Mm -hmm. And they would use words that typically say something about it. Oh, I'm getting a dry cough. But And that has happened in the past where you've had outbreaks of respiratory viruses that have a, a penchant for causing a cough or a very runny nose or it's holding on, it doesn't want to go away. We would not have known. We would just have described it in words what the COVID-19 experience was like and that some people would, would have gotten pneumonia and gone to hospital and died. Um, yeah. uh, so it's eventually the, we will come to an accommodation with this virus and it will, as the British chief scientist has been saying, it will become one of the viruses in circulation um, uh, uh, that cause respiratory illnesses. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned that it may be asymptomatic, but with those who portray symptoms, they might be something like fever, that dry cough that you mentioned, or even shortness of breath. But for those cases, how do you know if you should be tested for the virus? And, and quite frankly, who should be tested? That's a very good question, and one that in most epidemics uh, tends to be a contentious one. Why? Mm -hmm. Because people who are afraid of something or think they may have had it or be exposed, if there's some test, they would like to have that test. Uh, but the, the tests cost money and they're not unlimited. Yeah. Uh, so you have to decide who gets tested. And I'm sure um, the public health authorities, GOFO, would have a policy for this. Uh, in general, you would have got, in, a, in an area where you've not had a disease before, you want to test people with suspected who are suspected, who have the symptoms, and perhaps who have a travel history to confirm uh, that the disease is, is in the country or not, or in that community, in that region. So that's a, one of the prime reasons, uh, or top priorities for, for using the test would be to confirm the presence of the virus uh, in a new community or in a new country, a new island, um, not necessarily to confirm every case. Uh, if, if somebody, for example, in a family tests positive um, and they've got fever and then the others in that family who, if, if, it, if it gets to a situation where we have widespread transmission, then other people who 
get fever and a bit of a cough would would not be asked to test. It would be presumed that that's what they have. In the middle of an epidemic, if one person in the family tests positive for COVID and others are coughing and sneezing and got fever, that's what they have. That's what they all have. Uh, so that's a sort of pragmatic. Um, uh, 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 people who are in hospital and more complicated cases would be next on priority list. Uh, when we had the threat of Zika, you may remember uh, women who were pregnant were prioritized. Why? Yeah, because yeah. Of the threat to babies. So that was one of uh, for that epidemic for that virus. Um, uh, who should be tested was was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you have people who are severely ill, confirming the presence of the virus in the community. Um, what is not yet being contemplated, at least not here, but I've just seen a study from Italy that maybe we'd have to look at some of that, uh, is testing people, uh, for instance, contacts who are asymptomatic. Um, because current, most of the current guidelines would focus on people who are symptomatic. Right. Uh, but some people, it may come to the point where people who are contacts in a family or in a, in a social event may want to be tested to, to be reassured that they are not infected. Now, it's not actually going to change your management in the sense that if you've been exposed, you'll be asked to self-isolate for 14 days and, and whether you test positive or not, that's not going to change. Exactly. So and with limited test capacity, therein again lies one of the challenges with um, uh, uh, who should be tested and under what, what circumstances. Yeah, and you well, talk about, makes, I'm sorry. Makes <laughs> yes, makes complete it's, sense. It's a technical subject, so sometimes it gets puzzling. Why can't I get a test? Mm. And I'm willing to pay. Remember, too, that with some of the diseases, we were more forewarned. Um, this one came around rather quickly, and it's a testament to, to science and public health and worldwide collaboration that the the virus's genetic code was was deciphered so fast that test kits became available so fast um, and they were able to track it and hopefully uh, contain it or i i think it's it's out the horse is out in the barn long time i think slowing down the spread flattening the curve um, minimizing minimizing exposure of the most vulnerable uh, those are the strategies now Yes, minimizing the exposure of the most vulnerable. I like the way you said that because a lot of folks are sitting around thinking, if I'm asymptomatic, I'm not going to pass on this virus. So why do I have to practice social distancing? And that's one of the key things that you just said, because we want to make sure that even if you do not have symptoms, you're not passing it on to the vulnerable community, the elderly, the immunocompromised and things like that. So that's like a driving home point that we're really trying to get all Caribbean islands to kind of understand that the only reason we're asking you to stay isolated for a while is because we want to avoid the spread of this virus because it's spreading rampantly. Yes, yes. It will also, interestingly, have a a positive effect on all respiratory diseases Mm -hmm. uh, which are circulating in the population. Yeah. It's an interesting experiment. We've, uh, I'm not aware of another disease. So part, go back to your first question. No, I haven't seen anything quite like this where we have um, nations uh, shutting down borders and the kind of locking down that we're, uh, is being attempted. So at scale attempt to contain this. Um, uh, uh, I think it's, been, it's, it's a good practice run for something else that may come. But That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
right. Well, Dr. Hospitalis, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today about COVID-19. I think this is a good starting point for our listeners. At least they will have some answers, credible answers to the questions that they've had. We will get into a Mythbuster segment another time because I know you have a very busy day today, but I just appreciate you sitting down and chatting with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alondra. Keep up the good work. This is a novel coronavirus, meaning that there's so many things about this virus that we just don't know yet. So stay tuned to RX Rounds as we continue to bring you valuable information from credible resources and help you adjust to the changes being made in your community to help prevent the spread of this virus. That's it for this episode beginning the COVID-19 series. Check us out on our website, rxrounds.com, for more information on today's guest, Dr. James Hospitalis. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. See you next rounds.